As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. Show of hands in church this morning. Um, have you ever had to call in to get out of work or, or school? You had to make that call. Hey, I'm not gonna be able to make it in today. I got this thing or I'm not feeling so hot. And, and now you're like, you're trying to convince them that it's not, it's not COVID. I promise it's not COVID, but I, I can't come in. Maybe this is real honesty. Have you ever called in just so that you can get out of something that's going on that day? Anybody? We had, we had like a few honest people here. I think if they're, all the students should put their hand up because I, I don't, I've got four kids and it's like, <laughs> oh, I'm not feeling so good, dad. You're like, do you got a test today? What's going on? Like maybe we're calling in to try to get out of a meeting that you're not prepared for or something that's going on. We use excuses to kind of get edit out of things that we might be required to do. But here's the reality. No matter what your excuse is, I don't think they're as absurd as some of these that I came across this week. I can't make it in today because my llama won't stop throwing up. Just think about that for a second. One, somebody owns a llama. Two, that llama has intestinal issues and it's not, it's not pretty. All right, so they call, these are actual people that have called in and said, hey, I can't make it today. Next one is, I can't make it in today because I have to attend the funeral of my wife's cousin's pet because I'm a, an uncle and a pallbearer. I don't, there's so many things that are going on in this one that I don't understand. There's no way that this is true. Maybe, maybe it is. The third one, I have four kids and I think this is, actually is true. Uh, my child stuck a mint up his nose and I have to go to the ER to uh, have it removed. Um, we use excuses to get out of doing things. Maybe you didn't have to use one of these excuses, but imagine, imagine you're at your work and your boss comes in, hey, we got a project for you. And you're gonna be the one that's gonna lead this thing. As a matter of fact, it's gonna be incredible. Um, here's the reality. Our CEO wants to go to space. It seems like what's what all the other cool CEOs are doing and they're all going to space. So we're gonna, we're gonna send our CEO to space and you're in charge. And your, first, your eyes get big, and you're like, whoa, this wasn't in my job description. <laughs> like, this is, above, this is above my pay grade. Like, I don't think you understand. Didn't you, like, take a look at my strengths finder assessment? Didn't you, uh, uh, I, I'm an Enneagram 7. We, we don't do spreadsheets and project managing. Like, we, we just want to have some fun. Whatever it is, we use excuses, whether we are feeling like we're in over our head, or it's just something we just don't want to do right? Whether it's work, school, maybe working out, we use excuses to get out of it. And we do this in our relationship with God as well. When he's calling or he's asking us to do something, we tend to use excuses of reasons why ah, I can't, I'm not qualified, I shouldn't, I'm just busy that day. If you relate with that, you're not alone. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter three. We're looking at Moses. He is our hero today. He was empowered with confidence to lead. However, what we see happen with Moses is that he is called to this task, an important task, but he gives God a list of reasons why he's not the man for the job. He gives a lot of reasons. We're gonna see it this morning, but what we see is that when God calls, he empowers 
He empowers us not because of there's something within me, but we, he empowers us and transforms us because of who he is and his nature. So we've been in this series looking at all these everyday heroes that have been available, willing, and, and empowered by God. But really what we have today, and I think this is probably the most relatable hero that we have, is that we've got a hero who's unavailable. He's made himself unavailable, and he's also said, I'm not willing. So I don't know about you, but that is actually somebody I can relate to. Like, I, I go, mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is what God is calling me into. But this is what we're going to look at today is that when God calls, he empowers. And when he empowers us, he's actually transforming you and I, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. So we're going to see some truths about when God calls. Truth number one is this, when God calls, his worthiness transforms my unworthiness. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, but this is kind of like when you walk into the movie theater 20 minutes late, and so you're, you're trying to figure out, okay, what, what just happened? What's the context? God's speaking all of a sudden, but where are we in the story? So let me give you the 90-second overview. Israelites are in Egypt. Joseph, remember, he came, and they, they provided the way. Israelites start to multiply. There's a new pharaoh that comes in, but he doesn't remember Joseph, and he's like, I don't like these people. They're a threat. So he begins to enslave them and actually goes so far as asking the Hebrew midwives to start killing off babies because this whole thing is not good for my rule and reign. Thankfully, the Hebrew midwives were like, hang on a second, we fear God, not you, so we're not going to listen to you. Pharaoh goes, all right, well, I'm going to employ my own soldiers, and we're going to start throwing babies in the river, which is absolutely horrific. And this is where Moses kind of comes onto the scene. And even if you've never stepped foot in church, you've probably heard of like the Ten Commandments, the old movie, or you've, been, you've watched something where you've seen this story. A baby gets put in a basket. It goes down the river. All of a sudden, Pharaoh's daughter pulls up this baby and goes, I've got a baby, and calls him Moses, which literally means I pulled him up out of the water. That's a very literal name. He grows up in Pharaoh's house. He's an adopted son. And he grows up and he begins to see the burden of the people around him. He knows who he is and he sees this burden and this oppression that's happening on the Israelites. And he goes, okay, I'm going to step into something here. I see this Egyptian that's beaten up a Hebrew man. He steps in. He's like, hey, look, this isn't cool. Has to defend him. We don't know the whole story, but ends up killing a dude and it doesn't go well. He tries to hide it. Comes back the next day trying to help the Israelites. He's like, hey, I'm... I'm, I'm one person at a time, we're going to start a revolution. We're going to free the people. And they're like, who are you? Who made you prince over us? And are you going to do the same thing that you did to that Egyptian the other day? And he's like, oh, you know that moment where all of a sudden you, what you thought was hidden all of a sudden comes to the light? <laughs> that was Moses. He's like, oh, oh, no, they know. And then all of a sudden Pharaoh knows, okay, I got to get out of here. So he bolts and he heads out into the wilderness. He goes to a place called Midian, finds a woman, has a kid, and then he's working for his father-in-law for 40 years. If you're working for your father-in-law for 40 years and living in his basement, that's not, a good, that's not a good place to be. Just That's where Moses is at. So he's leading sheep, he's out in the wilderness, and he's walking, and he sees this bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. And as any normal human being would be like, that's weird, I want to check this out. And he turns to take a look at it, and he begins to have this conversation with God. And that's where Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 comes in. So take a look at your Bibles, God says to Moses, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people 
who are in Egypt and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I've seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. So here we have this situation with the Israelites. They're in a hard place, right? There's been oppression. There's been, they've been taken advantage of. And I just, I just want to stop for a second because I know there's a lot of people that even have walked into this room this morning feeling like you're going through a hard, challenging season. And I just want to remind you, even in this moment, the truths that we can lay hold to, we can hold fast to in verse 7 where he says, God says, look, I've seen the affliction of my people. I've heard their cry. I know their sufferings. And I'm coming I've come down. He's like, I'm acting on behalf of them. So I don't know what your situation is this morning or what you've been through, but I just want to encourage you right now that God sees you. God hears you. God knows your suffering. He's acting on your behalf. I got a picture this morning of a person from our church who's in the ICU watching online because of some hard things that are going on. God sees the suffering that his people are in and he's not leaving them abandoned. We don't know how or when the answer is going to come, but we know that he sees, we know that he hears, we know that he knows what we're experiencing, and we know that he's acting on our behalf, and that's what we see him doing. Sometimes God is at work in an individual that's actually going to bring about the help of someone else. And that's what happens in verse 10. Look, it says, come, I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God's inviting Moses into this grand plan that he has of setting his people free. And he's saying, I want to use you to do this work. God's inviting Moses into a work that he's ready to accomplish. And this is happening around you and I every day with our coworkers, our neighbors, our family, our friends. God is at work at drawing his people to himself. And he wants to invite you into that work as well. God's calling you to be a part of the work that he is doing. He's inviting you. We, we don't deserve this. Like, this is the, the God who spoke and the world was formed, and he's inviting you and I to be a part of building his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And maybe you're sitting there going, John, I, I get it, but like, maybe God's called you to be a part of that. Clearly, you're the one who's up here. But I'm sitting back in the seat, I'm a teenager, or I'm in the midst of going through a hard time in my marriage. I, you don't understand my situation. Who am I to do this? You sound an awful lot like Moses. So we're going to look at what he said, and then we're going to come back to that. Because Moses says in verse 11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. The knee-jerk reaction is, okay, God, God's calling you to do something. Who am I to do that? I've been, I've been walking through the wilderness here in Midian, tending sheep, and I've had 40 years to sort of think back to that time and what happened. And Moses is blinded by his past failures that he can't see the future promises that God is calling him into. 
And you and I, we get blinded by our past and we get hung up by the things that we've done going, who am I that God is going to use me? And it puts a ceiling of what we believe that God wants to do in and through us. Pastor Ron says this all the time. He says, your past may be an obstacle to you, but it's never an obstacle to God. And the reality is, Moses had a past. I mean, we just heard about it. He killed a guy. He ran from his place. He's now just wandering through the desert. And he's wrestling with, God, I'm not equipped for this. Who am I to do this? I'm not... I'm not the guy. This is above my pay grade. This is that moment where like projects have been slapped down on the desk and his eyes go big. This, is, this wasn't in my job description. But God's going, no, 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 hang on a second. I got, I'm calling you to do something. He's going, no, I'm unworthy. You don't understand. But that's the beauty is that when God calls, his worthiness transforms my unworthiness. Because here's the reality, he is unworthy. You and I, we are unworthy people, but his worthiness transforms my unworthiness. I'm a pastor and I feel unworthy. I know maybe we're not supposed to say that, but that's the reality. And I'm reminded of it day in and day out. You think you can do this? You don't have enough education. You don't have enough training. You don't have enough experience. You know your thought life. You know that you are no good. You are not worthy. That's what we hear on a daily basis. But God is saying, hey, 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 it's my worthiness that transforms your unworthiness. Because we see this in verse 12, God says, I will be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What's God calling you to do? What's God asking you to step out in faith in? It might be that he's asking you to surrender your life to him for the first time and go, hey, you gotta let go and come surrender. Maybe he's saying, hey, you know what? I want you to start that business that's gonna impact this community and it's gonna have an impact for the kingdom of God. Maybe he's asking you to, to be a leader at the junior high, high school camp or throughout the year and invest into the next generation, disciple those who are in this church. Maybe he's asking you to just have that conversation with someone at work or a neighbor. What's God calling you to do? And I know the knee-jerk reaction is, I'm not worthy. Who am I? to go do this. It's what our church is about. We're, we're, we've been called to go out. It's not just about coming and sitting here in these seats. It's not, Christianity's not a spectator sport. It's, hey, get in the game. What God, what's God calling you to do? And part of it is, hey, we're gonna go take the word out. We have High Point Global. We have missionaries that are all over the world. We have our care centers. It's part of even what we're doing this fall. We're planting some new locations. And to be totally honest, I'm part of going to plant this church in Hinsdale and I've felt unworthy and I've gone, who am I to go do this? But God is saying, hey, it's not about you. 
It's not about you. It's about the work that I'm doing. And when I call you, I'm going to empower you. It has nothing to do about you. It has everything to do about me. I am the one who's sending you. I'm going to be with you. And there's an incredible group of people that are going to St. Charles. There's people that are going to Hinsdale, people that are saying, hey, we're going to be about going to help this community because we can't do this on our own. If you want to hear more about it, we're having lunch after the service. So maybe God's calling you. That's all I'll say about that. Um, No, but the reality is that we get so wrapped up in our unworthy. Who are we to go be a part of this? God's saying, hey, it's my worthiness that transforms your unworthiness. Let's keep reading. So Moses has just been having this conversation with God and God's going, look, I'm with you and I'm going to send you. So, I mean, Moses should be good to go, right? I mean, what more do you need? Let's look at verse 13. He says, to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Notice what his first word to, back to God is. If. If I, hypothetically speaking, if I go do the thing you're asking me to do, and they say this, what am I supposed to say about that? Like he doesn't even say, okay, God, I, I got you. You're saying, okay, what do I say in this process? No, he says, if, if I go. I'm not committing to this, but if I do it, I know we're gonna run into some things and I don't really know what to say. What do I say if they ask this? We have Moses who's experiencing some uncertainty and God begins to dial in some certainty. So when God calls, his certainty transforms my uncertainty. And we see this in verse 14. God replies back to Moses saying, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I mean, that's a moment where it's a mic drop moment. He just just comes back. Moses is kind of like, yeah, but what what am I supposed to say? He's like, look, look to me. Here's who I am. This is the first time we actually see God describe who he is in the Bible. This is where we get the word Jehovah, Yahweh, as we transliterate it. It's in all caps, L-O-R-D. It's the word that the Israelites wouldn't even speak because of reverence to who God is. And God's describing who he is, and it's not a noun. It's not a label of like, here's who I am. I am I'm John. I'm a husband. I'm a dad. But God goes, I'm a verb. I'm active. I'm moving. I am who I am. Or it also could be said, I be who I be, because I'm, I'm at work. I'm moving. There is no one who has created me. There is no one I'm dependent on. He is the I am. Tell them I am has sent you. The psalmist David says in Psalm 9, those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know the name of God, the name above all names, the name at which every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when we know his name, we can put our trust in the Lord. Moses is missing it in this moment. He's not putting his trust in who God is and who his name is said to be. He's missing it. He keeps looking at himself. He keeps looking at his own either weaknesses, his own deficiencies. And we tend to do this, don't we? 
We take every, I know I kind of joked about it, the Enneagram and all that. So I know there's some people that are really like, really passionate about it. Disc profiles, Myers-Briggs, you know, strengths finder, all, I've done them all. Personality, this or that. And all of it is like, okay, how do I look and discover something that's in there? Maybe I'm going to uncover some nugget of like, this is who I am that I'm going to offer to the Lord and he's going to use it. It's going to be incredible. The problem is when we keep looking to ourselves for the solution, this is what happened with Moses, we're going to fall flat on our face. One pastor said it this way, and I love this description. It says, confidence doesn't come from a clear self-assessment of your potential. Confidence comes from a clear view of God. And here we have God saying, I am who I am. Tell them that I am has sent you. The Jehovah. He is Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Jireh. He has provided. He is our healer. He is over all, through all. That's who is sending Moses. And God gives him more certainty. It goes on in verse 15 all the way through the end of the chapter. We're not going to read every verse, but he's like, hey, listen, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. I am the God of the covenant. I will not let this thing fail. And as a result, I'm going to give you more certainty than I'm going to tell you, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm summarizing. So he's going to go, he's going to talk to the elders of Israel, and they're going to listen to him. He says, hey, look, they're, they're going to hear you, and they're going to believe you, and then you're going to go with them, and just like as a squad, we're going to roll up to Pharaoh's house and go, hey, here's what's happening. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has said, hey, let my people go, and he's going to be a bit of a stubborn punk and not do it, and, but don't worry, I've got a strong hand, and I'm going to convince him really convince him that he's going to let my people go. And not only are you going to be able to go, but as you're leaving the city, people are going to be throwing their jewelry and bracelets and gold at you. And we will plunder the city of Egypt. I mean, that's talk about some certainty that he's giving Moses right now, right? Like he just mapped it out piece by piece. Here's what's going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And now it's going to happen this way. I mean, that's absolute certainty. Okay, I can step into this. I can walk into this. Maybe we don't have this nice step-by-step process, but what we do have is we have the word of God, and that gives us certainty of who God is, and we can can trust in his name. And I want to just encourage you with four ways that we can be certain today. We can be certain, one, that God exists Acts 17, verse 24 and 25 says this. He is is the self-existent one, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He is the source of everything. He is the self-existent one. He is preeminent over all things. You and I, we can be certain of this. We can also be certain that God does not change. He says in Malachi 3 that I, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, does not change. You don't have to worry that I'm going to flip-flop or love you one day and not love you the next. I do not change. My character does not change. This is who I am. We can be certain that God is all-powerful. Colossians 1, 16 and 17, that all things were created in him and through him and to him and for him. And he is the sustainer of all things in him all things hold together by the power of his word. That's 
the I am. We can be certain that God is in control. Isaiah 46 says, knowing the end from the beginning, he will accomplish his purpose. He will accomplish his will. So when you're feeling uncertain about what God's calling you into, you can be certain that he exists. He does not change. He is all powerful. He is in control. And when God calls, he transforms you and I, not because of more self-reflective, uh, the answer's in me. No, the answer's in him. We need to get our eyes off of ourselves and look to him. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. What's God calling you to do? What's he calling you to take a step of obedience into? Let's keep reading. In Exodus chapter four, we're gonna continue this conversation. It keeps going back and forth between God and Moses. And Moses responds back after all this. He's like, hey, here's all the things. God's given him certainty. He's given him, hey, I'm worthy. Moses says, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. This is that moment where, does anybody have like young kids or has had young kids, three, four, five years old, and in the store is usually when it happens or when you're out in public and there's that moment where they kind of like stamp their feet and it's like, and like the whole body goes rigid. They won't listen to me. They're not gonna believe me. As awkward as that was to watch a grown man have a temper tantrum. <laughs> Think about what God is like facing as he's having this interaction with Moses. And the reality is that literally only a few verses earlier in verse 18 of chapter three, God says, they will listen to you. Moses is saying, they're not gonna listen to me. Are you, you calling God a liar, man? Like, you better be careful. You're treading on some thin ice right here. Moses' insecurities begin to bubble up. I mean, think about it. Think about all the memories from that moment that he had amongst even a couple of Israelites, and they're going, who made you prince over me? All of a sudden, the insecurities start to come to the surface. See, when God calls, he transforms us. When God calls, his security transforms my insecurity. In insecurity, we begin to believe lies. We begin to treat others differently. We begin to be blinded by our circumstances. And here we have him going, look, no, they won't believe me. They're not going to listen to my voice, even though God has literally just said they will listen to you. But when we're operating and we're in a space of insecurity, we're not going to see beyond our circumstances. So God, in his response to him, is just, it's fantastic because it doesn't even really address it. He says in verse two, he says, hey, what's that in your hand? Moses is like, no, 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 I, I, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. What's that in your hand? A staff? I got, I got a staff here. I mean, what's that going to help with? How's that going to make people believe me? He's like, I want you to throw it on the ground. So Moses throws it on the ground. And I think there's a reason why God doesn't tell him what's going to happen. I think he's just trying to get his attention a little bit. Like, appreciate the comedy in this. Look at the end of verse 3. So he throws it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And what happens? Moses runs from it. So he's got a staff, throws it on the ground, turns into a snake, and he's like, what? Like, frantically, like, prancing away. And 
God's like, hey, listen, I got the power, all right? Maybe now you're going to pay attention. And then he's like, okay, actually, I want you to pick up the snake. You want me to pick up the snake? I want you to pick up the snake. How? By the tail. By the tail? Like, this interaction between God and Moses, he's picking up the snake, and then it turns back into a staff. And he's showing, look, I have the power to take an inanimate object and turn it into something completely different. And then... He says, okay, if that sign isn't enough, take your hand, put it in your jacket, and pull it out. All of a sudden, his hand is completely white and leprous. Now, that was the worst disease that you could have in that culture. And he's like, oh, my my hand. They say, okay, put your hand back in and pull it out. It goes back to completely clean and pure skin. God's showing, look, I'm able to give you security in the midst of your insecurity. I'm gonna provide for you ways that you can be secure because of my power and my capabilities. So, okay, even if those two signs are not enough, this is all through verses four through nine. He says, if that's not enough, grab a cup of water from the Nile, pour it out, and it's gonna turn to blood. He's giving these signs. He's providing him a way to have security in the midst of his insecurity. And what's remarkable remarkable about this is that he's using things that he has or he has easy access to. Think about that. He's using his staff. He's using his hand. And he says, grab a cup of water. So often we get so wrapped up and I need more training or education before I can actually have that conversation with my neighbor about who Jesus is. We get so wrapped up and I don't have enough. I need more. I I don't have the tools to do this. And what is God saying? He's like, what's what's in your hand? I actually already, you already have the tools and I want to use it for my kingdom and I want to set some people free with it. So you have the tools already and he's saying, hey, what's that in your hand? How can I use that for the kingdom of God? Think about the New Testament where there's 5,000 people who are hungry and they're like, what do we have? We got some fish, we got some bread. Okay, bring it. We're gonna multiply that. Bring what you have and God wants to multiply it for his kingdom. He's calling you to be a part of the work that he's doing. But we go, ah, no, I don't know. I don't have the skills. I don't have the abilities. I'm, I'm insecure. I'm not sure. I only, I'm only a photographer. Great, use your photography for the kingdom of God. I only know how to sell life insurance. Great, use it as a platform to be able to point people to Jesus. Yeah, but I don't know how to lead a, a small group. What tools do you have? What's that in your hand? And how can you use it for the kingdom of God? So, here we have Moses God's calling him, he's giving him security. He said, hey, my worthiness is transforming your unworthiness. My my certainty is transforming your uncertainty. My security is transforming your insecurity. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. This feels like the phone call of like, hey, my llama's throwing up. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't do that. Like he's still coming up with more reasons why he shouldn't be doing this. Now, has anybody had to learn another language before? 
whether it was even just in high school, you like took a year of, of Spanish. I, I see some people that, how much do you remember from those high school days of, of how to communicate? Probably not that well. So Moses was in Egypt and he's been gone for 40 years. I mean, imagine having to step back into communicating in that language. Maybe he's feeling a little like not too hot about his communication skills. I mean, I, we lived overseas in Europe and, and had, I had to learn a language and it was rough. And there were times where I felt like a two-year-old trying to like say, I want ball. And people were like, okay, what are, you, what are you talking about? It'd be easier if we both just spoke in English. Let's just be honest. That's, that's the response I usually got. So maybe Moses is going, I don't know how to communicate this. I don't know how to go back and have these conversations because it's kind of ironic because later on we see Moses actually have some pretty incredible eloquent speeches. And the Lord responds to him and says, hey, look, who has made man's mouth? Who has made him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. When God calls, his sufficiency transforms my insufficiency. And we see this response like God's going, hey, I'm the one that's in control here. Who's made man's mouth? Who's made them seeing, deaf, or blind? One commentator wrote it this way. I, I, I love it because it says, whatever the problem, legitimate or illegitimate, it's not enough to deflect God from his path of action. The significance of God's answer is that God is in control, not only of the elements, but also the Egyptian government. And he's also in control over the messenger. Think about that for a second. He is the one who is in control. And so the Lord directs the mouth, the ears and eyes. And Moses' speech problem is hardly a challenge. So whatever your insufficiency is, whatever your lack of ability is, it's hardly a challenge for what God wants to do in and through you. Do you believe that? Ah, oh God, I'm not eloquent. I'm, I'm slow. I can't do that. I don't know how to speak in those ways. I'm, I'm just not sure. But God's going, look, I'm the one who made the mouth. I'm the one who's in control here. So verse 13 of chapter four, Moses says back to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm ready to go. Is that what it says in your Bible? Everybody look at your Bible at verse 13 or look at the screen. Oh, there it is. No, he says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Please, I don't want to do it. Like, I know that you are in control. I know you're the maker of heaven and earth. I know that you're with me. I know that you're the I am who, who is I am. And I know that you sent me. I know that you're going to show me all these neat tricks. I can make wood turn into serpents. But please send someone else. I mean, after all this, God's got to be going like, what is it going to take for this guy to do what I'm asking him to do? And it's easy to poke fun at Moses, but I know I'm guilty of the same thing. I know I'm guilty of God prompting my heart to have that conversation, to go across and go help someone who's in need. I know I'm guilty of saying, please, Lord, send somebody else. I'm too busy. I got my own things I got to take care of. I just had a hard day. I don't have enough time. How easy it is for us to just go, please, God, send somebody else. And God, even in the midst of Moses begging him, he goes, listen, I'm going to give you your brother. He knows how to speak well. 
And he's gonna be a mouthpiece for you. And I'm gonna teach you, I'm gonna show you what each of you ought to say. When God calls, his sufficiency transforms my insufficiency. What's God calling you to do? I believe that even in this, this room, there's some stirring in our hearts. Maybe God's asking you to take a step of obedience. Maybe he's already asked you and you've kind of been avoiding it. I don't know which, what you sort of kind of relate to. Who am I? Or I'm not eloquent. I can't do it. Or please send somebody else. But God wants to invite you into the work that he's already doing. He's going to accomplish his will, which is to rescue his people from captivity. And there are people that are in captivity to sin today that you know, and he's inviting you to be a part of the process of helping lead them out by pointing them to Jesus. Not because of anything that you have or you can do, but because of who he is, and he wants to work in and through you. We've been going through this series looking at all these individuals from the Old Testament and they've been unworthy. They've been insecure at times. They've been insufficient at times. But when God calls, he empowers. So what's God calling you to do? Here's the reality. Whatever he's calling you to do, you can't do it on your own. D.L. Moody said this of Moses. He said, Moses spent 40 years thinking that he was a somebody, 40 years learning he was a nobody, and 40 discovering what God can do with a nobody. You and I, we're nobodies. There's Jesus, and then there's everyone else. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and we are utterly dependent on him. We can't do what he's calling us to do in our own strength. That's not the message today. The message today is get down on your knees and realize that you have nothing to offer, but he's saying, even still, I want to use you to make my name known in this world, to build my kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. I want to use you. Will you be obedient? Will you take that step of faith into what he's asking you to do? Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we come before you and we recognize our need for you as our savior. That we're unworthy. We are insecure. We are insufficient. But you transform us because of who you are, not because of who we are. And you use us, you invite us into your plan to bring freedom to those who are captive. God, what are you calling us to step into? Where do we need to take that step of faith, that step of obedience, and trust you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.